0: or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za jesus is so kind and i am so thankful to him for all these years that we've had together he is the only true hero and I am grateful for another opportunity uh, to talk with you about him. It's kind of a big weekend for us as a church, and uh, I definitely want to say uh, that we love you uh, Living Hope, and I can't believe that it's here already, actually, Uh, my last Sunday preaching at Living Hope, for a while at least, I'm sure by God's grace, if the Lord's willing, we'll be back, but... I always wish I had a moment, I had words for moments like these. Uh, I usually don't, and I don't today for sure. But I guess that's why I've tried to take the last seven weeks really uh, to express my love for you as a church uh, through a series of sermons we're calling last words. So this is my love language preaching. And that's because God uses people. Of course, God uses people and relationships. But what matters most, what's always mattered most, is the message. The message matters so much more than the messenger. The message is what matters. And so we've been going back to some of the most basic elements of the message we've preached here at Living Hope all these years. The absolute essentials. Like for example the necessity of the new birth You remember last word number one You must be born again And Jesus' work on the cross And what that means for your relationship with God Jesus really is enough And union with Christ What does it mean to be a Christian? Being a Christian means being in Christ And discipleship We talked about greatness what true greatness looks like greatness means being a servant and the sovereignty of god how god has a plan and he always accomplishes that plan and and then the importance of preaching a big christ and centering everything on christ and that was last week and and that would have been a good last word i think really but what more there's a lot more Really, But if you'll take your Bible and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we don't have a lot more time. So I thought I could talk with you a little today about the difference the resurrection makes. The physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. We've preached that over and over and over. And as a result, the physical bodily resurrection of Christians is one of the most important Christian doctrines and there are a lot of them of course God became man that's an important doctrine Jesus died on the cross as a substitute for sinners that's definitely an important doctrine you're saved by grace alone through faith alone that's huge they're all huge and I don't know if someone asked you what is the most important doctrine that's hard to answer, probably a little impossible, because they're all connected. So I don't know how you exactly say most important. But I do know that in First Corinthians chapter 15, Paul's been arguing that if you don't have the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus, and as a result, the physical, bodily resurrection of us as believers, you don't have the gospel. And if you don't have the gospel, obviously you don't have Christianity. And if you don't have Christianity, you don't have a church, living up church. The resurrection is essential. The physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus and the future, physical, bodily resurrection of us as believers are both very, very important. And Paul's been working hard to prove it, actually. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 This is the the resurrection chapter You could say And we've spent a lot of time in this chapter Over the years Looking at the way Paul makes his argument And honestly if you take time To read through this chapter You'll see this chapter Is full of these really Big Mind-blowing statements About the certainty Of us rising from the dead and when it happens, the kind of bodies that we are going to have. And while it definitely would be fun to work our way through all the details of the resurrection, I thought I could show you today instead that Paul doesn't only argue for the resurrection. He applies it. The resurrection makes a difference. Does the resurrection make a difference? a difference in your life. You don't really understand a doctrine until you understand the difference that doctrine makes. And one reason Paul has to talk about the difference the the doctrine of the resurrection makes actually is because there are false teachers within the church at Corinth who were denying that believers would rise from the dead. And that's pretty bold. But verse 12, Paul says straight out, some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead, which is shocking. But what is even more shocking is that there were members of the Corinthian church who were beginning to believe them. He says in verse 34, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. Even though they had started well, the Corinthians, They were tempted to stop listening to what God said and to stop doing what God wanted. And so if you look down at the end of the chapter, after 57 verses of carefully explaining and defending and proving the resurrection, in the very last verse, Paul can't move on without showing the very practical difference the resurrection makes in verse 58. He writes... Therefore, therefore, in other words, in light of what I just taught you about the physical bodily resurrection of believers, because this is true, because the resurrection happened, Jesus rose from the dead. And because of what it's going to be like when you rise from the dead, therefore, Paul gives a command, you need to take action. That's first. Really, Paul does three things here. First, he gives a command. And then second, he gives a reason for that command. You could even say he makes a promise. And finally, third, a proof. A command, a reason, and a proof. And if you look first at Paul's command in verse 58, you see he puts it pretty positively. He writes, Therefore, my beloved brethren, what? Therefore, since Jesus rose from the dead, and since you will too, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I love that description because I think it's a good description of spiritual maturity. Being steadfast means what? It means holding fast to the truth, basically. Knowing what you know and clinging to it. This is the kind of person who is confident. He's confident not about everything, obviously, but about the gospel. He knows what matters. He knows what truths are important. And he's got convictions about those truths. In fact, he's immovable, you could say. Which is pretty similar to being steadfast. It's being steady, consistent, strong. A mountain is immovable. Be like a mountain spiritually when it comes to God's word and the gospel. I know some people are like mountains when it comes to their own opinions and the ideas that they have made up. Don't be like that. But be like that when it comes to the gospel. There are certain truths worth dying for. And there are certain truths worth living for. And here's something that you need to bank absolutely everything on. Jesus is alive. And you are going to live forever. Be steadfast, immovable. And then Paul says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. In other words, believing, do, act. Always abounding means being fruitful, energetic. Passionate for Jesus, which is what I want for you, let me know. As a church, what kind of people do we want to be? We want to be people who persevere, people who keep going. We want to be people who hang on to the gospel with everything that we've got, to be people of conviction, who stand strong even when everyone else is not, who work hard. People who work really hard at what matters to Jesus. Which is a pretty positive way of saying it, that charge, that command, in terms of what difference the resurrection makes. But, you know, we could flip these commands on their head and say it a little more negatively as well, which kind of helps me, actually. Because if you're not steadfast, you're what? If you're not holding tightly to the truth, the essentials, if you're tempted to give up, To stop listening to what God says. To feel like it's not worth it. If you're movable, erratic, here, there, everywhere, not steady, always trying something new, easily changeable. If you're always wondering, looking, maybe there's a better way I can go. This isn't working. If you're not always abounding in the work of the Lord. If you're not as committed as you used to be. If you're going through the motions, if you're sort of drying up, what are you? What's the problem? You're discouraged. I think another way to describe Paul's command to be steadfast and movable and always abounding in the work of the Lord is as a call, a command, not to become discouraged. Living hope. I don't want you to become discouraged. Be encouraged. Don't become discouraged. This is my last, last word. You've started well. Keep going, never give up. Don't become discouraged. You have no reason to become discouraged. And by discouraged, I don't mean that I don't ever want there to be a time in your life where you're tired, or you need a break, or you're just a little sad, maybe. That's life. That's ministry. That's normal. By discouraged, I mean instead slowing down. I'm talking about stopping. I'm talking about giving up. I'm talking about becoming cynical. I'm talking about when obedience is hard to start asking yourself, "What's the point?" and to start doing your own thing instead because what God is telling you seems to be too difficult. Like, obedience doesn't really work. I don't want you to become discouraged living in hope. And I actually kind of want to plead with you for a minute about that because as we've been here, and this is why I'm preaching this sermon, it's obvious that giving up and becoming discouraged is a tremendous problem. I mean, starting well is not a problem. A lot of people do that. Persevering is a problem. Only half-heartedly obeying is a problem. Living the Christian life pessimistically, half-in, is a tremendous problem. One reason it's a problem is because there are lots of times where you feel like you have reason to give up, to become discouraged. Look, listen, the Christian life can be hard. And the reality is no matter how good it's going right now, and it is going good for some of you, it's going well for us as a church. And no matter how good it's going to go in the future, and it might go well. For some of you in the future, I guarantee you, though, this is the way obeying Jesus works. I guarantee you that if you're really serious about being an obedient Christian and if we're really serious about being a gospel church, a faithful church, there is going to come a time when it's really difficult and when it doesn't feel like it's working. And you feel like you have reasons to give up. I mean, think about your own life for a minute. It hasn't always been easy. Maybe you finally got up the courage to witness to your neighbor, and when you finished, he looked you in the eye and he said, What in the world are you talking about? Or maybe you prayed and prayed and prayed that God would save someone you love. And after praying and praying and praying, that someone you love doesn't seem any closer to God than when you first started praying. Or maybe you decided that you were going to love someone who is very difficult for you to love. And you were going to love them sacrificially from the heart. And so you went out of your way to do just that and they didn't even notice. Instead, they complained about something else you didn't do. Or maybe you're concerned about someone's spiritual good, and this is hard for you, but you studied a passage of Scripture, and you went to them, even though it was a little awkward, and you shared the truth with them, and they seemed to completely miss the point of what you were talking about. It would be easy to do what God wanted, what Paul's commanding, be steadfast, be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, if it always turned out the way you wanted, but it doesn't. That's the reality. And so, one reason we're tempted to become discouraged and to become less serious about the truth and wanting to try new things, and why we're tempted to become self focused and all about ourselves and to give up on serving Christ is because sometimes we feel like we have reason to. It feels like it's not working obedience. You know, I've talked to a lot of people who are about to give up. A lot of people over the years. This is a very common pastoral problem. I wanted to obey, but now I don't. I want to give up. I've talked to a lot of people like that. And yet I've Rarely ever talk to someone who is giving up like that who doesn't feel like he has reasons to give up. You understand? Everyone feels like they have reasons to give up. They've got a multitude of reasons. All they are is reasons. That's what makes this challenging. We look at Paul's command here be steadfast, be immovable. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord. And that's fine and good when things are easy. But when things start getting hard, we start thinking we're the exception. Like this is for other people. This is for people who have it easy. This is for people not like us. We are different. We don't know about them, but we have actual good reasons to give up. Which is why I want you to pay very careful attention Not just to the command Paul gives, therefore be, but to the promise Paul makes. Knowing that, that's second. He gives a command and he gives a reason. Therefore, my beloved brethren, the ones I love, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And there's the promise. Did you catch it? Because it's really big. The reason, the promise. This is so good, what Paul says here. It's huge, but it's also a little challenging. And I want to make sure you hear this right. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Therefore be, what? This is the command, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why, Paul? Here's the reason, the promise. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What does that mean? Let me tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean that in the Lord your labor always looks like it's successful. It does not mean that it always feels like it works out. You know, I would love to be able to encourage you not to give up by saying, it's going to work out every time. Everyone's going to see what you're doing at some point. It might take a while, but everyone's going to see what you're doing, and they're going to think it's great, and things are going to turn out the way you expect them to. But I can't promise that. Sometimes, maybe... A lot of times, no. And that's okay, because that's not my hope anyway. And that's not the reason Paul gives either. In fact, the reality is, you need to know that the Bible is very clear that doing what is right is often very hard. And truthfully, a lot of times, it does not seem to work out. I mean, did you ever notice? If you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Abel worshipped God and how did it turn out for him? Abel worshipped God and he was murdered for it. And Moses obeyed God's call to deliver Israel and he spent most of his life being complained about and grumbled about by the very ones he sacrificed to rescue. Elijah preached the message God gave him and he spent a good portion of his life running away from Ahab and Jezebel. David defeated Goliath and was repeatedly attacked by Saul. Daniel prayed and was thrown into the lion's den. Paul preached the gospel and was beaten and thrown into prison. John proclaimed the kingdom and was beheaded. And Jesus became man and entered into this world that he created, and this world did not know him. In fact, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Instead, they crucified him So clearly when you try to do something that you know what it you know is right and it doesn't go as easily as you hope there are lots of different emotions that you can feel but one thing you should not feel is surprised That's pretty normal it being hard That's pretty normal it not looking like it worked out Welcome to the club When it comes to obedience You've got to get your expectations straight Because look there's reasons There's a big reason Even here in this passage Not to become discouraged But you have to understand first That one reason the Bible never gives Is that you should just keep going And do what's right Because it will make your life right now Easier all the time It might not In fact, I always find it funny the way that Jesus comforts the disciples before he goes to heaven. In John 14, read John 14 to 16 sometime and some of Jesus's last words to his disciples. And Jesus loves them, these men. He loves them so much and he knows they're scared. And so he speaks to them in John 14 and the chapters that follow in order to encourage them. he says, don't let your heart be troubled. And he says, I've said these things that in me you might have peace. And so we know for sure he's wanting to encourage them. That's what he's trying to do. And yet listen to some of the things he says. He says, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Be comforted. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. In fact, they will pull you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they've not known the Father. Nor me. That's intense. And important too. Because look. When Jesus wanted to encourage his disciples. Before he left. He did not encourage them by saying. It was always going to be easy. He was honest. He was real. Which means as we look to the future. That's one way I can't encourage you right now either. I don't know. Maybe it will be easy. Probably. It is going to be hard. I can't say for sure that you're going to see earthly success every time you obey Jesus right now. I don't know. I don't know it's always going to so clearly work out. I'm guessing a lot of times it's not going to look like it worked out. I can't promise you it won't ever feel like obeying God is pointless. It might feel pointless. But listen, I can promise you something much, much better. And you have to get this if you're not going to become discouraged. It's the promise Paul makes here. Some of you, I know you're going to become discouraged, so please listen now. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding, because you know that your labor, he says, that's your hard work is not in vain. And that means not empty, not pointless, profitable. Here it is. Mark it down, a good last word. Don't become discouraged. Never give up. Why? Because all the hard work you do, Living Hope, for Jesus is profitable. Guaranteed. Everyone. Every single time. I need an amen. And let me say that again, because like I said, I don't know how things will go in the future for you. For you as a church, for you personally, I do know that sometimes obeying Jesus is going to seem really hard. And so when you start to grow tired of obeying Jesus because it doesn't seem like it's working, I want you to remember God's promise. Hear me now. Preach this to yourself. Don't grow discouraged. Keep going. All the hard work you do for Jesus is profitable. In fact, if you want to make sure your labor is not in vain, and none of us want our labor to be in vain, there's really only one thing you need to be concerned about if you look at this verse. The Bible makes this very simple. What do you need to be concerned about? Paul only gives one qualification for work not being in vain. But you have to look at it because it's probably a different qualification than the one you might give instinctively. We might want to write this verse, knowing that if I witness and my neighbor gets saved, my labor's not in vain. Or we might want to write this verse, knowing that if I show love to my wife and she jumps up and down for joy, my labor's not in vain. Or knowing that if I preach the word and all sorts of people say I'm doing a great job, my labor's not in vain. But that's not what Paul writes. He gives only one qualification for your hard work not being in vain. What is it? What's the question you need to ask yourself? Is our labor in the Lord? In other words, is it what Jesus wanted me to do? These are the only questions you need to ask. Is it what Jesus wanted? And did I do it in faith for him? Not did I do it to earn his approval, but did I do it because I know he loves me and I'm his and I want to honor him? If so, mark it down, even if things don't turn out the way you want, especially maybe. And even if you don't get the results you wanted, and even if all the people around you are saying it's pointless, you know your hard work was not in vain. We've got good friends who are missionaries in Germany and they're missionaries there for so long, so long. Same little village. And we visited them not too long ago. You know them. They've been here. And we sat with their church. About 10 people in a living room. And not every one of them was even part of the church. There were some visitors. Their hard work is not in vain. All those years is not in vain. That is a cold, hard fact. Knowing, Paul says, knowing that in the Lord your labor's not in vain. Do you know that? You should know that. If you know that, that's huge. I mean, it changes things. So say we're sitting down and we're talking about one particular command of scripture in my office. And you know what it says. So there's no confusion in your mind about what God wants you to do. But you don't want to do it. And and you're trying to come up with excuses. And so you say to me, Pastor, I don't want to do that because I know it's not going to work. You know what I'm talking about? How many times has someone said that? And that's what you're telling me. This is not going to work. And in your mind, that feels to you like that's the problem. Like that's real. That's a real problem. Why aren't you doing this? I'm doing it because it won't work. But look, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. This verse says that's not the problem. That's one reason you cannot give why you're not obeying. You can't say it's because it won't work because Paul says we as Christians know that everything we do for Jesus is profitable. In other words, we know there's not one single thing you will ever do in faith for Jesus Christ that will be in vain. Not one single thing. And listen, again, follow me now. Because that doesn't mean it will always seem to work. That's not the promise. There are lots of things you do for Jesus that don't seem to work. And that doesn't mean it will always be obvious to everyone that it worked. There might be a lot of people who say that it didn't work. You shouldn't have done that. Are you stupid? In fact, again, the reality is that there's a lot of work you're going to have to do for Jesus that will look pointless to most people right now. And maybe even to you. But that's okay. Because you can know no matter what it looks like that work is not pointless because there's more to our lives than just right now a lot of your work for Jesus will look pointless right now but that's okay because you know there's more to your life than right now and that's the key what difference does the resurrection make be steadfast be immovable be always abounding in the work of the Lord living hope Don't become discouraged because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. How do you know that? How do you know that? You remember how the verse begins, right? Therefore, Paul's given us a command, be, and then a promise, knowing this is the proof. Therefore, command a reason and a proof. The proof that our labor is not in vain is the therefore at the beginning of the verse. In other words, the proof our labor is not in vain is because of what Paul told us in the resurrection and in the rest of the chapter before. There is a resurrection of the dead. That's it. The resurrection makes a difference. It has to make a difference. Jesus rose from the dead. And that means one day your body is going to come flying out of the ground indestructible, glorious, like Jesus' resurrection body that, that will live forever without sin. That has to make a difference. You hear me, Livino? Yeah. This is fact. Look at First Corinthians 15, 20 and 21. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and 55. Death! Death! And you kind of have to shout this one, right? Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Come on. Oh, death, where is your sin? Death is arrested. Death is defeated, which is not just a doctrine for you to debate and discuss. It has application. For one, it means that even the work you do for Jesus that seems the most pointless isn't pointless because death isn't the end. It's the beginning. Preach this to yourself when you start to become discouraged. You have to be a preacher. This should be a church full of preachers. And the person you should preach the most to is yourself when you start to want to give up. You have to say self Self, remember, you are going to die. And after you die, you're going to stand before the Almighty God as judge. You know that. Paul says in Romans 14:10. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And on that day, self, your life is going to be evaluated. Paul says in Romans 14:12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And if you're a believer, you don't have to be afraid about standing before God as judge like that. Because this isn't going to be a time of condemnation for you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Instead, this is going to be a time of reward. Unbelievers are going to be punished on that day. And believers are going to be rewarded. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body. Which is why when you obey the Lord and it seems to fail, you can be assured that act of obedience, if done for the Lord's sake, wasn't a failure at all. Because not only did it glorify God, God has a great memory. Do you hear me? God has a great memory. And when that judgment day comes, God is going to remember you and reward you for every act. Done in faith and obedience to Jesus. Every single one. There is not one single thing that you have ever done for Jesus that he's going to forgive. This is awesome. It changes everything. Jonathan Edwards explains. I love the way he puts this. Christ keeps a book of remembrance of the good works of the saints as well as the sins of the ungodly. What a picture. A book of remembrance of the good works of the saints. And however polluted that which the saints do is in itself, yet all the pollution that clings to it is hid. And everything they do for God that has the smallest bit of sincerity in it is precious in God's eyes. Through his infinite grace, it shall in no way lose its reward. Neither shall it in any way lose its honor. At the day of judgment, they, you, shall receive praise and glory and reward for it, which is huge. If God is going to remember and glorify, that should make a difference. So yeah, you're out there witnessing and you're not seeing anyone come to know Christ. I can see why that feels hard. Or you're a wife trying to serve an ungodly husband and he's not changing. I can see why you might be sad. And I can see why you might be tempted to give up if right now was all there was. But church, right now is not all there is. There is a resurrection. This is is like basics to our faith. And so I can't see why that's a reason to give up. No, I can't. I can't. Because even if it never works out right now, hear, me, hear what I'm saying. Even if right now all you get is pain, in just a short time, God is going to raise you from the dead and reward you for every act of obedience in Christ in the future. We can't live church as if now is all there is. Because we know now is not all there is. Jesus rose from the dead. You will too. That's not just a theory. That's not just a doctrine. The resurrection of the dead has to make a difference. Doesn't make a difference. Is the resurrection of the dead making a difference in your life right now? It should. And let me get real specific. Because, you know, you start working your way through the Bible and you find God is constantly motivating us by showing us how good it's going to be if we obey. This is everywhere. I mean, let's start with the way we give. Giving is hard. And so sometimes we give to people who can give back because that makes sense in the world's mind. But you know what God calls us to do? He calls us to give to those who can't. Why? Why? We should be people who give and give and give and give to people who don't deserve it. Why? Why would you ever do that? Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they don't have the means to repay you. End the sentence there. How does that go over in the world? you're talking to an unbeliever how does that go over you will be blessed since they don't have the means to repay you that makes no sense why does that make sense for us as believers for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous did you get it did you catch it you will be repaid when it doesn't say now it says the resurrection How about the way we respond to our enemies? I mean, people who hate us. We know we're supposed to love them. But again, why? Luke 6.35, Jesus says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And I think he's talking about reward in heaven, because for Jesus, this is the motivation over and over and over again. Like, how should you respond when people reject you when you share the gospel? That's pretty challenging, right? You get up the courage to share the gospel and people mock you. What do you do? Jesus tells us, Luke 6.23. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it's just so funny when you hear it at first. Blessed are you when people hate you. Anybody see why that's kind of like, what? Blessed are you, happy are you. You have a good when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you. And I like this last part. Spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. I don't know if my name's ever been spurned as evil, but that's intense, right? Blessed are you if that happens. How should you respond when people hate you because you love Christ? Rejoice in that day. He actually says leap for joy. If I wasn't so old, I could do a little jump up here. Leap for joy. Why? For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Rejoice when people hate you. Why? The resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection. You have to focus on the resurrection if you're going to live the Christian life out. I remember reading about an old pastor who said, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Pray that. That's awesome. Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. It's clear he understood Jesus, because if you took away the future reward of believers and the future punishment of those who are disobedient, almost everything Jesus said would make no sense. This was his basic philosophy of living, Luke 9. Whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he's the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Lose your life. That makes no sense if all there is is now, right? Or what is a man profited if he gains the whole world? Well, he has the whole world. Isn't that profitable? Jesus says not if you have an eternal perspective. We have to have an eternal perspective. This is one of the primary doctrines we preach as a church. This is one of the primary differences between us and the world. We believe in the resurrection, and the resurrection changes the way we give. The resurrection changes the way we respond to our enemies. It changes the way we think about life, what's important, the way we work, the way we lead in church, the way we serve. I mean, we could go on and on. The resurrection makes a difference. Therefore, Paul says, be steadfast and movable. All is abounding. Why? Preach it back to me. Why? There's a resurrection from the dead. I can't hear you. There is a resurrection from the dead. When you're giving sacrificially, no one notices. When you're serving someone, they hate you. When you're sharing the gospel and they mock you. When you work hard and you never get ahead. When you're trying to do what God wants and it feels like what you're doing isn't working. Remember living hope. The Bible tells us in the Lord, none of that's in vain. None of that because Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that means we will too. Never give up. Never give up. The resurrection makes a difference. Make a difference in your life. It needs to make a difference when things are going well, of course, but you know what? It needs to make a difference when it feels like things aren't. There are going to be times where everything makes sense to you, and there are going to be a lot of times when they don't. And that's when I want you to remember this. You have no reason to be discouraged. You have no reason to be discouraged. You have no reason to give up if you're a believer. You have no reason to give up if you're a believer. You have no reason. The resurrection demolishes every reason you might have for giving up. Because the resurrection means that no matter how much of a failure you might feel like right now, in the end, you win. God's given you victory through Jesus. And so if you're starting to struggle with doing what God wants because it doesn't seem... To, to work, what do you do? What do you do? You remember you're a Christian. You remember you believe in the resurrection. And you take your discouragement. And you take all your reasons for giving up to the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. And you bury them there. If you really believe Jesus rose from the dead. There's no reason to be discouraged. Even if it feels like it's not working. If what you're doing is for the Lord. If what you're doing is in faith, even the things that you do that seem to fail, he sees, he takes note of, and he will reward you for when you stand before him on Judgment Day. So living hope, work hard. Stay on mission. Cling to the truth. Know what you know. Take a stand. And as you do, sometimes you're going to grow tired. We all grow tired. We're just human. But give up? Give up? Never. Why? Because everything always works? No. Because we're Christians. And we can be sad and disappointed when we don't get the results we want. But we have no reason to stop doing what's right, even when it's hard. Because we know there's a resurrection. Resurrection. Do we believe it? Do you believe it? Anybody can serve Jesus when it's easy. But when it's hard, that's a test of your faith. And what is it testing about your faith? Do you actually believe there is a resurrection? That's the question. The only way your work as a Christian would ever be pointless is if Jesus' work as your Savior was pointless. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if this life is all there is, then eat, drink, and be merry. If the resurrection didn't happen, nothing matters. Don't let anybody fool you. If the resurrection didn't happen, nothing matters. Absolutely Nothing. But look, the resurrection happened. The dead are raised. This life is not all there is. And as a result, we know that our work in the Lord does matter, even during the times when it feels like it doesn't. And so, Living Hope, as you look to the future, I can't promise you that it's going to be easy, but I can promise you, and this is my last, last word, If you commit to obeying God in faith, your labor in the Lord will not be in vain. Jesus rose from the dead. That means you will too. Never give up. Never give up. Let's pray. Father, The world's got all kinds of things it's telling us. And it's obvious as we look out there. The world is just scared to death of death. And Lord, sometimes we act as if they're right. And we start to grow tired and looking this way and that way. As if there was no resurrection of the dead. But Jesus, this is at the core This is is at the core of our Christian faith. This is at the core of what makes us Christians. The physical bodily resurrection of Jesus and the physical bodily resurrection of believers. And so, Lord, when we get discouraged, please help us to preach truth to ourselves, not lies. Help us to preach the truth to ourselves, that you did defeat death. We will stand before you. We will be rewarded in Jesus Christ. And as a result, Lord, help us to be a church that is steadfast, clinging to the truth immovable, not going here or there, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Lord Jesus, you are alive, and you are at work in this church. And it's because you're alive and at work in this church, we have confidence as we look to the future. we pray this in your name. Amen.